Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's time for the unofficial 40. Soonerscoop.com's very official recruiting podcast featuring Soonerscoop.com recruiting publisher Josh McQuistian. Get your recruiting fix from the leader in Sooner Recruiting. It's the unofficial 40 with your hosts, Soonerscoop.com publishers Carrie Murdoch and Josh McQuistian. All right, welcome in. It's another edition of the Unofficial 40. Josh McQuistian joining us as well. And, uh, well, we've got a new face joining us. This is the first official podcast of the entire Sooner Scoop staff. Eddie Radosevich is here. And uh, Joe Duvall, even though the big voice guy uh, is not uh, ready for Joe, we've got Joe in studio. And, uh, Joe, it's good to have you, man. Hey, it's good to be here. And it would help if I turned your mic on. There we go. It's good to be here, even though uh, I don't get the big name introduction. Well, as Eddie will tell you, the big name introduction is sometimes highly overrated. Eddie Radosevich. It's not everything that it, it's not everything that it's meant to be, Joe. We need to get a we need to get one of those uh, uh, clapping tracks though to welcome people in. Or we could just clap. I could do that too. It doesn't work. Josh McQuistian, uh, he has a new toy, so he sounds better than ever. He's in Studio B. Uh, Josh, welcome to the program. Studio B, also known as my living room. That's, uh, you know, hey, yeah, but... The, it's the radio. They don't know. St- stop stripping away the magic. <laughs> they don't know that we're all in our underwear over at my house, eating cheese doodles and drinking beer. Well, I mean, I think it would make for probably better Scoop HD radio if all those things were true. Well, they might be. I think those are actually performance-enhancing drugs in this line of work. <laughs> Josh McQuistian. See, you have a big voice guy. Eddie has a big voice guy that doesn't know how to pr- pronounce his name. So, Joe, don't feel bad. Anyway, guys, uh, let's get it started. Uh, obviously, right out of the blocks today as we're doing this on uh, Wednesday, is it? I, I can't ever tell what day it is. Uh, it was announced a little bit earlier by John Humphrey that he's leaving the program. And I think a little bit of a surprise to all of us, Eddie, we talked to him uh, in Miami, and he was talking about running track and uh, seemed to be about as happy as a kid could be that was just redshirting, said that you know he was happy to have gone through the redshirting process, but but he announces he's going to leave a little bit surprising. Yeah, it really is. And I, I think it's something that, uh, you know, going into the spring, he was definitely a guy, like you said, that we talked to in Miami, seemed like a guy that was getting ready to uh, to take that next step as a player in the OU program, and especially in the uh, the depth chart with Sterling Shepard and Deron Neal leaving. And uh, But then when you look back over the spring, even in the, the limited uh, times that we had uh, post-practice with the players and the coaches, you never really heard John Humphrey's name come up a whole lot, and uh, he didn't really do a whole lot in the spring game. So I guess maybe looking back on it now, it, it makes a little bit more sense now that he uh, has made the announcement that he's going to uh, seek a transfer from OU, but uh, also at the same time pretty surprised knowing that uh, he was a guy that I think that was going to have a lot of opportunities going into next season, and that probably opens the door for some other guys now to uh, step into that role. 
Well, and it's interesting too, Josh, just from the recruiting aspect of it, uh, another highly rated prospect that uh, Jay Norvell brought in the program that just didn't pan out. You know, you look at it, and I think maybe more than any position that OU's had some coaching turnover, it seems like every guy really likes his wide receivers, and then when the new guy comes in, it's almost like a bloodletting. Like it just, and it seems that way. It seemed that way when Norvell arrived. It seemed that way, you know, when Daryl Wyatt arrived. You, you go through. I mean, you can go way back, and it seems like every time a receiver arrives, we kind of or a, a receiver's coach arrives, we kind of suddenly hear, uh, you know, I don't know about what's here. We're gonna have to find some guys that fit what I, you know. And it's, I, I don't know if that's just perception or if that's reality. But more than any position, I feel like we see a lot of that of this kind of stuff where guys that were really highly thought of, and then all of a sudden it kind of turns, and you know they're not seen in the same light. And really, other than a you know a coaching change, I don't really know what to point the finger at as the cause. Well, I, I think you can look at a lot of things, and obviously we were talking about this earlier, Joe. Uh, you know, a lot of his retweets, stuff about how fast he is. Uh, I think I, I, you know, put something out there about you know one of OU's quickest young receivers left. He retweeted that, uh, but I mean he's a guy that had a lot of speed. I don't know that he was really developing. He was he kind of had a small obsession with track and field. You got to wonder uh, if if he just he wasn't running track and field. I don't believe. I don't think so. Uh, you got to wonder maybe if if you know, he he just got disgruntled over a lot of different things. Yeah, and to Josh's point, if you look at uh, some of the new offers out now uh, from Dennis Simmons, some of the receivers he's targeting, guys that are finding success since he's arrived, it's guys like A.D. Miller, Dahu Green, Michael Jones. Who's getting offered now? You have Charleston Rambo, Omar Manning. You look at some of these guys and you say, oh, Sedarian Lamb. These are 6'2", six, 6'3", six, guys that clearly, despite you know, someone might have the perception of a Lincoln Riley system of a bunch of small slot guys running around but it's not been that way it's been these bigger guys it's been these guys that can use their length to help them get open and uh, I think that maybe John Humphrey was too focused on his speed maybe too focused on uh, uh, being a slot guy but he, he really was never going to be a guy who could play on the outside and the inside and he also didn't have that wiggle never really materialized. Um, he was he was just a straight line guy that I don't think he could fit in well with what Dennis Simmons and Kill Gundy were doing at receiver. Well, we can talk a little bit more about uh, John and and you know coming out of spring. We're all going to get together and do a podcast about that very soon here too. But we want to kind of focus a little bit on recruiting and uh, our spring evaluations going on now. Josh and coaches out on the road. Uh, you, you and I and and Eddie and Joe are are getting ready to go out on the road a little bit too and check out some guys uh, in their high school spring practices. But just give us a, a little rundown, Josh, first of of everything that's going on with the coaches and recruiting and, and any any news that might have popped up of interest in the last couple of days well you know to me i i think one of the more interesting stories was uh oklahoma offering the 2018 quarterback from california cameron rising and i think that's interesting because you know like we talked about in the the uh, scoop hd that eddie and i put together uh this morning was 2017 quarterback that's done chris robinson you know what you've got there and then 2018 i mean it's already moving that that's just how quarterback recruiting is now Oklahoma's, you know, that, that 2017 is done, and they're already well-focused on 2018 and trying to find that next guy, and that's the case with every major program in the country. So I think that's kind of interesting. But really, I, I think you also, when you start to see the coaches 
head out on the road, you start to get an idea of where their focus really is. Um, you know, who are the guys they wanted to go see first? For example, Mike Stoops went immediately to the Bay Area to see Addison Gums, the uh, four-star outside or four-star linebacker from uh, Hayward, California. And, you know, uh, same token, Jay Bolware goes to Atlanta to see Trey Sermon, the, the Rivals 250 running back. So I think you get a better idea of, okay, these are the guys that, you know, these are our plan A kind of guys, and this is our next group. And, uh, you know, another one to kind of keep with the Bolware thing, he went to, you know, he's been to buy to see Cam Akers, uh, the number two running back in the country, a guy that Oklahoma's not really getting mentioned with a lot right now. But from everything I'm told, he's in a lot of conversation with Oklahoma and I think is a guy that, you know, every year it seems like Oklahoma has a couple of guys that come in for official visits that, you know, nobody saw coming, myself included. And I think maybe Akers could be that one of those guys this year that kind of surprises people with his interest in Oklahoma. So, I, you know, I, I, again, there's a lot of stuff to follow. There's so many coaches out on the road right now. I, I was told earlier this week, that uh, Calvin Thibodeau is actually the only coach that's still in Norman, you know, and by NCAA rules, they have to have a coach in Norman. So, yeah, of course, along with Bob Stoops. So that's, uh, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot going on, but I, I think this time of year, you start to really get a feel for kind of what's real and what's not. And, you know, this guy's, you know, they like him, but they're not going to push for him just yet, that kind of thing. And Josh, you touched on uh a position I think a lot has a lot of OU fans excited right now, and that's running back. Uh, I don't know if, I mean, despite some of the recent successes, I mean, you have some Ajay Piran and Joe Mixon, but you look at the recruiting they have now, they, they really have a lot of options with guys like Kennedy Brooks, Anthony Davis. I mean, even though J.K. Dobbins has committed to Iowa State, he's still an option. Trey Sermon, you mentioned out of Georgia. These are a lot of big guy, big name running backs, high-profile guys. And what is Oklahoma going to do? I mean, who, how are they going to be able to make that decision? And uh, how do they handle that going forward? Well, I've been told all along, and I mean, we obviously have to remember uh, Marcellus Sutton, the uh, junior college running back. Uh, you know, and I, from what I gather, Oklahoma kind of sees him as an athlete, wants him to play some slot, do some running back, do a lot of return game stuff. So he'll be a little bit of a jack of all trades kind of for Oklahoma. But what I've been told all along is they want two high school running backs. That that's been the number that I've heard. You know, and there's been no. You know, oh, you know, we'll kind of see what happens. Maybe things will move. Two has been what's been said from beginning to this point. Now, it's recruiting. Anything could happen. Things could change. But I think what's going to end up happening is Kennedy Brooks is the guy that I feel like he's almost certainly going to end up as part of this class. He feels kind of like, you know, uh, I guess to steal a term from all of our uh, high school days, he feels like the safety school. Like Oklahoma can feel good about him, can feel like they're probably going to land him. And then see what happens with, like you mentioned, A.J. Davis from Lakeland, Florida, Trace Sermon, uh, Cam Akers, again, is a guy I, you know, I feel like we should mention. Or, you know, I've even been told there's a few guys out there they are still identifying, some guys they're finding. And running back is one of those positions that kind of tends to happen where you have some late bloomers, some guys that maybe, you know, were stuck behind somebody or didn't fit the offense. There, you know, any of a hundred reasons they just weren't getting the notoriety they deserve. So you see some of these guys that kind of come up through the spring and the summer and start to get more notoriety. And so I think you could see some guys like that as well. But uh, really, I think Oklahoma is just going to look to take two. And I think it could really play out in a lot of different ways. And I, you know, I could end up wrong and Oklahoma really hits a home run and goes and gets maybe Sermon and Davis, which you know I, I don't think you could imagine a much better scenario for Oklahoma. 
But I do think I think in the end it's most likely that Brooks is part of some kind of high school duo that they sign. I guess we'll stay on the offensive side of the ball and go over to wide receiver and talk a little bit more about what this John Humphrey decision does with Oklahoma. Josh, do you get the sense that, I mean, I guess everybody on the board wants to know, would Omar Manning now step into a role that maybe is vacated by uh, John Humphrey and the numbers? I don't know how that works out, but what, what, what would you think Oklahoma does now with uh, wide receiver, and especially in 2017? And if uh, everybody watches the video with you also talking about what they're going to do in 2018 with, uh, with a lot of prospects in, uh, in, in state uh, that they could go after. Well, I, I think to me it gets more interesting when you look, you know, and you kind of hit the nail on the head perfectly with 2018 and in-state. The guy that I think suddenly becomes a lot bigger um, maybe storyline is Adrian Wilson, the slot receiver from Tulsa Union. I think everybody knows C.J. Moore, and rightfully, C.J. Moore is a six foot five, 200-pound, really talented guy, and he kind of has caused Adrian Wilson to be overlooked. But when I saw the junior tape, Wilson was the guy that jumped out to me first. He's a pure slot guy, really kind of fits that role of what Oklahoma now has a vacancy for. The problem with Oklahoma and some of the targets they have in 2017 and 2018, those aren't John Humphrey type guys. They are, you know, like I said, C.J. Moore's a big guy. Sean Shaw, uh, Sean Shaw, the big receiver from Jones, uh, that made also made the Rivals 100 list this uh, past week. He's another guy that's six foot five, 190 pounds, big, long outside receiver. And so, you know, you've got to find some people inside because you look, you know, Joe listed it really well. Jeff Mead, Jordan Smallwood, Dahu Green, A.D. Miller, you know, even Dallas Todd, uh, Zach Farrar in the younger group. You don't have a lot of inside guys. And whatever else Oklahoma may want to do, you look at their best offenses, they had dominant slot receivers, Ryan Broyles, Sterling Shepard. Uh, you know, go all the way back to like Mark Clayton. You know, that's just been a fixture of the way that offense runs. And really not just for Oklahoma. You look around college football, some of the most produ- productive spread offenses had a great slot receiver. So I think Oklahoma has to find an answer there. I think Adrian Wilson could end up being that guy. But at the same time, I mean, you look at the momentum that Oklahoma has going right now. It, they can go just about anywhere in the country right now and try to recruit guys, especially at receiver that are going to catch, you know, 50 balls a season as a freshman. I mean, that, that's, that's an opportunity that exists for them. So I think Oklahoma's in a good spot. And I think we'd be wrong not to mention Jalen Rager from Waxahachie oh, yeah. that um, I think in something I really haven't talked enough about on the board, I've spoken to a couple of the coaching staffs that have faced Waxahachie in the last year, and to a man, they rave about him. They, they think, you know, as I do, that we've got him woefully underrated, and he's going to be a difference maker almost from day one for Oklahoma. And now, again, that won't be till next season. And so, you know, that, that kind of falls into, you know, what does OU want to do in 2017? Do they want to take another slot? I don't really see that. But, again, I mean, that's something that Oklahoma's going to have to wait for. And in 2016, to have a guy like Michael Jones that I think now becomes even more important that can play in that slot role, those are, um, you know, probably two of the names that in the immediate future can probably help Oklahoma. Just kind of piggyback on Rager real quick. I mean, it really opened my eyes when you see a guy like John Kitna. I know that uh, we had uh, Jason Howell go down to Waxahachie and get an interview with him shortly after he uh, committed. But when you see a guy that's been in the NFL, uh, and even though he's still his coach, he kind of 
he hints that he's a really special player. That's what kind of opened my eyes towards uh, Rager even more when you get, see a guy like that kind of raving more so than just saying that, oh, he's a good player because he plays for me. So, uh, yeah, that's all I had. Hey, uh, let's talk about a guy that's uh, blowing up this week in state, Shawnee's own uh, Creed Humphrey. Would I rather be feared or loved? Um, easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. Everybody loves him right now, including Alabama. What, what are your thoughts on on uh, this kid blowing up like he is right now? Well, he's one of those guys that, you know, a month or two ago, I was a little surprised by his offer list. But, you know, covering Oklahoma as long as I have, you kind of get used to schools just slowly kind of moving through Oklahoma. They don't, they don't do it the same way they do in Texas. I think that's what we're starting to see, though, is, is more schools kind of giving credit to Oklahoma, and, uh, you know, the state of and the talent that's in it. And I can't help but wonder how much of it's connected to what we saw happen last January with Josh Jacobs, where, you know, he had a Wyoming offer and then suddenly had Alabama, Missouri and Oklahoma and about half a dozen other schools from Power Five programs beating down his door. So, you know, I think people are starting to realize there's some talent there. And you can't sleep on it forever. You know, you know there's, there's schools that have to go in and make a move. And with the, the Alabama offer to Creed Humphrey surprises me a little bit. And it's not that he's not a good enough player. It's just that they're in on some other guys that maybe are is equal or better and from areas they rely more heavily on to recruit from. So I think this is Alabama doing what Alabama does. They see a guy that they think is on a certain level and they're going to offer. Now, they may not push for him. You may never hear from them again. But at the same time, should they choose to, hey, we offered you early. We're going to do this. This is something you and I, you guys and I have talked about a long time that I thought Oklahoma needed to be more proactive in. And I think they've done a better job of that this year. And I think it kind of shows in their recruiting. But, you know, with Creed, he's a guy, you know, he said he came to the Nike opening at six foot five and I think 305, if I remember his tweet correctly. If that's correct, I mean, and he's a center and he moves his feet well on tape, that's that's prototypical. I mean, that that's what you're drawing up. That's not the you know, and I certainly don't mean any offense to our guy Gabe Eichard, but Gabe Eichard was a six foot four, two hundred and forty pound tight end in high school. So there there was a limit to where he was going to go with his frame. With Creed, I mean, you're talking about a kid that hadn't even hit a college weight program yet. He's going to be three twenty five before he knows what happens. And with what we saw from uh, Bill Biedenboe talking about Logan Roberson moving to center. I think it's clear that it's a big focus for Oklahoma to get bigger on the interior of that offensive line, but not, not excuse me on the offensive line, not just be good athletes that can move their feet and do some of the things that we saw under James Patton and you know even back to Mark Mangino and that kind of era. These are guys that he wants to maul. He wants to get physical up front, and I think Creed can be that kind of guy. So. Again, I, I, the Alabama offer is big for Creed, but for those kind of wondering where it falls, once Oklahoma offered, so long as Oklahoma recruits him, you know, doggedly does all they need to do, I think they're going to be very tough to beat for a guy that is a self-avowed lifelong OU fan. Yeah, I think, Josh, that uh, there's two really interesting angles to kind of look at this Creed Humphrey offer. And one of them is, you know, the basic micro one that you touched on. Yeah, he, Here's a guy, an in-state guy, who's 6'5", 300-plus pounds, moves well on tape, has a great frame, and Oklahoma offers him. So there's And he's a lifelong OU fan. People think that now he may be going to Oklahoma. So now you have Oklahoma deciding to basically 
pass on some national momentum, focus on an in-state guy they like when they saw the numbers open up. And I think that's that's uh, kind of what's interested specifically OU fans. But now from a macro level, you look at some of these other offers like Alabama and things rolling in in Texas, and you start to think about the recruiting game. What what drove Oklahoma to make the offer and what kind of interest people about recruiting? And when you're a school like Alabama or Texas, you can throw an offer to Creed Humphrey and not expect him to commit right away. And then you can also do another thing, a two-pronged approach. You offer Creed Humphrey, you get in early, like you said, but you also put the pressure on Oklahoma. Now OU has to make a decision on Creed Humphrey. They're at a, at a critical point in his recruitment, and we see that they decided to make the offer. Well, yeah, and it's just so unique to Oklahoma because in Texas, if Texas kind of – perfect example, last year with Chris Daniels. Texas had months and months and months to offer, you know, one of uh, a great player at one of the state's elite programs that actually had a connection to the family. And they didn't do it. And then the day before he commits to Oklahoma, they come in. In Oklahoma, it doesn't work like that. It seems like kids tend to get a little more sore about it because I think there are so few of them. They kind of talk amongst themselves and OU's telling me this. What are they telling you? As to where in Texas, I mean, some kid from Amarillo doesn't know anything about the kid from Side Springs. You know, there, there's no connection there. There's no, they didn't play AAU ball as kids, you know, whatever. There's not that same level of connectivity from player to player. And so I think you get some of that. And so Oklahoma, Oklahoma's hand does end up a little bit more forced than Texas or Texas A&M would be. Because even if Texas does miss out on Chris Daniels, well, there's some other kid, you know, in the Houston area that's a high-level three-star, a low four-star, whatever the case may be. And so Oklahoma kind of has to do these things. And I, I think we're all naive if we don't acknowledge that A&M and UT offering Creed Humphrey changed that game a little bit. For Creed to go to, you know, I, you can even go to a quality Big Ten program. For him to go to Nebraska, that doesn't really affect Oklahoma. For him to go to Texas and you know he becomes a three-year starter, well, all Oklahoma ever hears is, well, you don't recruit Oklahoma kids like you should, and this guy would have started for you for three years. So there just ends up being this narrative, and Oklahoma just can't afford that. They need their in-state guys happy, and any guy that's near that level, they kind of end up having to take. Let me bring up something uh, big picture recruiting here, and, and that is Bob Stoops had – uh, he was part of a, a Big 12 teleconference call, and he was asked about the satellite camps issue. Uh, and he said something I thought was really intriguing, which is one of the reasons I've been trying to give the staff a lot of credit the past couple of years uh, for how they're operating. He said that you know, they're, what they're thinking about doing is maybe adding another camp here at the end of July, which we've seen LSU do that recently. So they, so they have a, a, a camp right before their season starts, which usually these kids are done doing all their camps during the summer. They have a little bit more time uh, to, to maybe possibly plan a trip to, to Norman or something. Uh, they've done all their Under Armour, all their ESPN stuff. Uh, I think that's a pretty good idea if they want to execute because it seems like it's worked well for LSU over the last few years. Really, you know, to me since, and, and it, I can't say that it's an idea that I had, and boy, that, you know, but. Since I saw Florida go with the method of the Friday Night Lights camp, and now A&M's emulated it, and some others are doing it as well, I think, you know, it doesn't have to be that setup, but something like that, it's just genius. I mean, you know, you allow guys like myself and Joe and, you know, Bob, you know, Pizzbillo, you know, all these guys that cover recruiting, 
You allow us to do your job for you. We make a big deal out of this. So you get players to come to your event. You get to watch them work out. And more than anything, you know, because people are right when they get a little jaded about the whole satellite camp thing. The bottom line is coaches getting to hang out with guys they want to come. It's not, you know, the guys that might get an offer at Sam Houston State for Oklahoma satellite camp. That's not the point as far as OU is concerned. So they get to spend some time with elite guys. And if you hold it, like you said, Kerry, I think that's a great point at a time in which there's not a lot of camp, you know, there's not a lot of track stuff going on. There's not a lot of AAU basketball stuff going on. Everybody's kind of shifting their focus toward the football season. But, hey, you can come work out with us one last time. You know, and and Oklahoma could do some kind of deal where they do it. And then, you know, I'd have to look at what the NCAA limitations are on scheduling. But if you can do it through, you know, any summer months, why wouldn't you do it like as camp opens? You know, you could do like a – you know, come watch us practice during our two-a-days, and then tonight we're going to do a big thing on Owen Field and have a, a team, you know, a um, a high school camp out there. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know that you could make it work because there may be rules that limit that. I don't know the dates on when that window's kind of open and closed. But at the same time, I think that's a great idea because you get to maximize your exposure to guys that you're wanting to see. And how often do we hear guys say, oh, I want to make this decision before my senior season, before the season? At the end of July, right before the season starts, is as an impressionable time in these kids' lives and kids' recruitment. Gives them one last chance exactly. to, to get wooed a little bit yep. before they, they make that decision. Exactly, the final sell. The only bad thing I could see of that is, is if somebody comes out there, and I guess it, it could happen at any point in the summer, is kid comes down, tears his, or even sprains his ankle, and is out the first three, four weeks of a season. Uh, I imagine there's a couple high school coaches that wouldn't be too uh, fond of that idea. That's a good point, Eddie. Yeah, but, I can't remember how many injuries there have been at OU camps over the years, though. I can't remember. There there hasn't ever been anything big, but, not. I mean, in recent years, I think you've also seen guys that uh, there's been a lot of guys that just come to campus and don't even work out. They just hang out. Well, I think that's the what they prefer. Yeah, yeah no, they'd love to they have just Baron wanted, Brown They just want to get down, kids yeah. to campus, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you get a bunch of Dallas kids to come down and, and hang out and just unofficially visit or whatever. I mean, they don't care. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. they The kids that they want to come to their camps... They're not. They don't need to see them work out, you know. And I mean, in-state kids that happens a lot of. I mean, I think like you know, you, you watch like Dylan Dismuke and and you know gets his offer at camp. I mean that that does happen, but that's very rarely. Yeah, it's days. not. It's not. It's not usually the norm. Yeah. So yeah, uh, no. I mean, and it, sorry, got a little distracted there, but yeah, I mean, it's not the norm and. You know, it's not it's not just about 2017, you know, or, you know, that that group of incoming seniors. You most of the guys that are going to camp that are really going to be high level guys. They're going to be the juniors, the sophomores. So, again, you're getting them on campus. You get to spend some time with them, get to work with them. And that's especially important in those classes because there are all the restrictions on contacting those guys. So you get to have some unfettered access, some time to work with them, kind of get to evaluate them. And at the same time, get to meet mom, dad, and, you know, really start to get a feel for that next group of Dallas area, Oklahoma City, you know, Kansas City, what, whatever regional guys you're talking about, get to come to campus and you get a better idea of where you're at with them. And you think about it, Josh, I mean, look at camps over the years. I'd say five or six years ago, I think the Oklahoma staff tried finally started figuring this out, that it is about the the kids that are sophomores that you want to get a chance to work with them not to not to see what they can do but to build that relationship i remember uh like katie cannon you know when he came after his sophomore year right after he'd been offered maybe it was after his junior year 
Uh, Chris Warren, I mean, seeing him in, in camp as a young kid, uh, now looks like he's going to be a star at Texas. But uh, just just having those young kids come in, and your quarterback is what's interesting to me because that used to be such a, a an evaluation tool for like Josh Heupel, uh, you know, to get those quarterbacks in and work with them individually. Then they could kind of make their decision. Lincoln Riley's working so far ahead uh, that you know it's quarterback evaluation is not going to be that big of a deal for them in camps moving forward for the next few years. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago that Braden Scott out of Tahlequah was coming into Norman and playing yeah. for a scholarship. You know, yeah. that was the that was the way business was done back then. And now, I mean, Lincoln Riley's recruiting freshmen. But the problem is Lincoln Riley really made his his key evaluations on Chris Robinson after working out with Sean Robinson last year, both of them on the same day. Yeah. Uh, so taking that away is a little hurtful, I think. But with you know, for me, with um, looking at you know, you talk about the quarterbacks. It was just a few years ago that we had guys like Chandler Garrett, Keaton Torre, and uh, you know the guy that was kind of the the um, the big talk at that time, uh, Scotty. Um, Oh, I'm going to blank on his name. The transferred from Jinx to Wilkie. Broken Arrow. Was it something Wilkie? Uh, Scotty Ray Gilkey. That's, Gilkey. That's exactly Gilkey. Scotty Ray Gilkey. And, and so, the I mean, Coleman Keys of the world and all yeah. those guys, yeah. You had all those guys show up at camp going into really their junior year. And at that time, you know, everybody's like, oh, those those guys are that, – that's what it's going to be. Kind of like right now, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's Casey Thompson or Jalen Maiden. Well, neither one of those guys have an offer and two or three other guys around the country do. So, yeah, I mean, th- that's one of these things where you just get players that maybe don't have um, or, you know, that you kind of think you have an idea about, but you get them on campus and then you really know. Because I think we all saw that day that those guys probably weren't going to be OU guys. I don't know that any of us, you know, I know certainly myself thought, well, maybe there's a chance here. But when I saw them at OU's camp and kind of saw how OU went through it with them, I didn't think that was likely anymore. So I, you know, and that's just one of those things where it looks great when you go watch them at their own spring practices, but once they get stacked up against other kids and you get a better feel for, you know, okay, here's that's really where his size is. It's pretty average, or his arm's not as good as I thought it was when I watched this other kid throw. You you just get a better scope, and that's what these camps are so good for. And the more elite talent you can get, whether it's seniors or sophomores. That only makes it easier to really kind of have a measuring stick. All right, we're kind of uh, running short on time today. Let's let's wrap things up a little bit. But Eddie, Joe, anything you want to get out there and, and talk about with Josh before we wrap this up today? Just I would, I would just say uh, today I put out an NFL draft kind of preview for some OU players, and uh, I think this is always an interesting topic when you relate it to recruiting this time of year when the draft rolls around, and people always want to come up to you and say, "Oh, look at this guy. He was a zero star. Look at this guy. He was a two star, three star. They went in the first round." And I know, Josh, you have a response to that, to people that will come up to you and say, hey, look at all these three stars, look at these two stars, and you, I know for a fact you have to have a response to that. Well, we, we should almost have like a pre-NFL draft show that I could spend about 20 minutes ranting about this. The thing that people don't ever understand, they'll say, oh, yeah, there's you know half the first round is three stars, there's 10 five stars, you know, so uh, however many four stars to fill out the lineup. Well, that's fine until you consider that there were 27 five stars when those kids you know came out of high school and there were roughly a thousand three stars i mean the math just holds up that you know yeah you're not going to hit on every five star you're not going to hit on every four star and you're certainly not going to hit on every three star but the math holds up that the higher you are ranked whether it's rivals or anywhere else the math holds up that you will be 
a or you are more likely to be an NFL draft pick. I mean, and whether it's and, and again, five stars more likely to go in the first round, four stars more likely to go in the first round than a three star. You know, and you just keep going down that list because the numbers are just massive, and so people kind of get hung up on. Well, there's X amount of people. Well, that's not apples to apples. That's like, you know, you guys saying, well, the three of us sound, you know, we got more airtime today than Josh. Well, there's three of you. That just makes sense. And, you know, it's probably not true considering how long-winded I am about everything. But at the same time, that's what I'm talking about. People always kind of get into these traps and they kind of forget these things. And they also forget that, you know, so often with those three stars, Look at their offer list. It's not just the ranking guys that missed on those guys. You know, you get a couple years ago, Eric Fisher from Central Michigan. Do we really feel like he chose Central Michigan over Michigan and Ohio State? No, there's a reason Rich Rodriguez doesn't have a job. There's a re- you know, I mean, like you, you go down that list. Yeah, you know, but so it's one of these things that people love to talk about, but it just doesn't add up when you kind of look at the numbers. I love it. Josh is, Josh is getting fired up. Yep. Math I'm matters. You, and it, we could we could do a whole show with just that rant, and I could go free form. I, I knew what I was getting him into. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Mount Pleasant is a pretty nice place, though. If you've ever been there, I've got a coach that was tweeting live updates from Kalamazoo today. You know, it was, it was from the Kalamazoo, Michigan, um, their official Twitter feed, and so I got some of that on my timeline today. <laughs> so I'm well informed on all the uh, colleges, ca- college campuses around Michigan. All right, well, uh, we'd uh, love to keep going longer, but we uh, caught by time. It took us a long time to all finally get together, but we're going to do a lot more of these coming up. We've got a, we've got a full studio with a full group of scoopers uh, that are going to be here. Well, like I said, we'll, we'll put together a, a spring uh, preview, review show coming up here uh, pretty quickly as well. But, uh, Josh, it's great hearing your sweet tones on your uh, your new setup at, at uh, in your living room since we can't call it Studio B since you just hate mystery and surprise and the magic of it all. Josh McQuistian. Well, to keep with limiting that mystery and suspense with as good as I know my voice sounds on this through this microphone, I have to mention I'm married, have a child. Let's be really clear about this to all the lady scoopers out there that are going to get excited about this. You know, taken guy here, but... Do we you have know. any of those? Yeah, I need to start <laughs> moderating that board wherever the, all the uh, the scooper women are. The the, the Eddie groupies. Yeah, there's there's a lot of them. Sports writers don't exactly get the same kind of. Uh, Eddie has never them. bought a beer at Buffalo Wild Wings in his life because all the women scoopers. Well, I'm more of a uh, Twin Peaks guy anyway, so. <laughs> Doesn't shock me in the latest. All right, latest, least. All I'm right, a, I'm an elitist. The mic has been dropped. I will just leave it on that one. All right, for Joe Duvall, for Eddie Radosovich or Radosovich, as the big voice guy is known to call him. He'll uh, get it. For Josh McQuistian, I am Kerry Murdoch. You've been listening to the Unofficial 40, and we'll talk to you guys next time here on Soonerscoop.com.